Um, without further ado, I'm just going to welcome up Bates. He's going to be sharing the word with us this morning. Uh, can I pray for you? Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that your, yeah, that the Bible are your very words. And we pray that you would speak to us deeply this morning. I want to ask specifically that you would help to just break down some of our own biases, some of our own culture that we bring and we carry so strongly, some of the walls that we hold up. Pray that you would break those down, soften our hearts, speak to us deeply. I pray for courage and zeal uh, to full baits as he shares your word with us this morning. In your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Sorry for those who have to sit outside in the cold. There are still chairs up front here, by the way, if you want to change your mind. Can I move this a bit closer? Otherwise, it feels like I'm preaching into this massive void. But I'll use it to don't. No, I won't. Don't worry. Uh, welcome, everyone. My name's Bates. Um, aware that we've got a lot of new faces with us. So my name's Bates. I'm an elder on the team here, and I'm married to Jen. I'm not sure she's outside there with our little girl, Fee, who's one and a half. And then we've got a boy down at Kids Church who's six and a half. Um, They're almost exactly five years apart, which is really cool. So that's me, and uh, really excited to preach this morning. Really had a lot of moving parts going on, right? And we've got more to come. So get ready, buckle up. I'm going to preach for about 20 minutes, and then Robs, who's our Serve Stellenbosch lead, uh, ministry lead, is going to come and share a whole lot of really practical ways that we can get involved as a community in living uh, justly. So that's going to happen. And then we've got something really cool. We're going to be praying a whole church. We're going to stand up. We're going to go in three groups, and we're going to pray for the partner organizations that we partner with as a church. And we're going to pray that God would do wonderful things in and through them as they share with us. So we can practically activate living more justly even um, this morning, which is great. Okay, can we pop up the slides there, Dev? Um, I'm going to pray quickly just as a, um, yeah, really trusting the Spirit to work in us this morning in a topic that can be a little bit tension-causing in our hearts. So thank you, Lord, that you're with us and that you are good and that you are just and that you're also loving, and that you want to move in each of us, that you love us too much to leave us the way we are. Come and speak through your good and wonderful word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this morning we find ourselves in part seven of our vision and mission uh, sermon series. We call it, What on Earth Are We Here For? One hope, what on earth are we here for? We're a local church in Stellenbosch in this time God has a plan for us. We're trying to answer the question systematically, what on earth are we here for? If you've been for us for, with us for a few of the weeks, you might uh, remember our mission statement we started with. Does anyone remember it? Can I get someone to shout it out, please? Nobody remembers it. Okay. Yes, there we go, Megs. Okay, brilliant. Being filled and filling Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Christ. That is our purpose. That's why we exist, One Hope. God's put us in Stellenbosch to be filled and to fill Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Christ. That's why he's put us here. So then how does our vision, which we've been unpacking systematically, uh, step by step, help to fulfill that mission? That's what our vision is. It's like, this is where we're going to be going in order that we could fulfill our purpose, that we could live out this mission that God has put us in Stellenbosch to live out. And so we're going to be double-clicking on one of those vision elements today, which you would have picked up through most of what's going on. It's around um, living justly in our society and in Stellenbosch. So why do we do this? Why do we have a vision series? What's the point? And the truth is that every single one of us hungers for vision in our lives. We want something to chase after. And that's why these like 
movements and these causes and these social media things get so much hype because they give vision. They give a direction. They give a, a picture to us of what could be. So come, put your money in, put your voice in, get behind it. That's why movements, when they're well presented, get so much traction because we hunger for something to give ourselves to and to pursue, um, to chase after. The author of Proverbs, he said it like this, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And so when we don't have vision, we just wander around aimlessly and we do reckless and crazy and silly things. But in the scriptures, God gives us prophetic vision. What is prophetic vision? It's God's guidance to us, God's leading to us. And so that's what we're trying to do with the series as elders. We're trying to as clearly and concisely articulate what we believe God, through his word and through his spirit, how he has prophetically guided us as one hope to live out our mission in this town. And so that's what we're busy trying to do. We're trying to say, hey, this is where God's taking us. This is what he's asking us to focus on. Come and join us on this journey of being the hope and life of Christ into our town. So that's what we're doing today. Double, uh, today we're going to be double-clicking on one specific vision element, and it's this. It's that we're becoming an authentic family committed to inspiring... Is it coming up or not? No, Okay. Committed to it's on that banner over there. You'll see it. That's the Steve Steely's little thing. Rob's going to talk about that in a moment. Very cool. By the way, whoever put that together, Robin and Rebecca and you, great job. It looks amazing. So we're uh, becoming an authentic family committed to inspiring, equipping, and mobilizing. Three things. Inspiring, equipping, and mobilizing Christ followers to think, head, believe heart, and then live with our feet in our hands more justly. That's what we're doing. To think, believe, and live more justly. That's what we want to see all of us doing. And so you'll notice that this is actually just a double-click element on making mature disciples. Living more justly is simply a way, of, is simply growing in discipleship, specifically related to the area of living more justly. And so you will note that, um, and that's why this is a specific emphasis element for One Hope and why we've expressly um, put it in our vision statement is it's not every area of discipleship for us has as much emphasis and focus as this one does. Several do, like proclaiming the gospel and these things, but one of them is we really believe God's called us to live more justly in our town. I do want to say you're just going to get a small little bite this morning of kind of the theology behind biblical justice, because otherwise we'll be here for very long, but really excitingly, from kind of through last year and into this year, we've been crafting a biblical justice theology paper. So we've got quite a comprehensive One Hope biblical justice theology paper. It's in its last round of review and editing. It should be ready within the month. And then we'll publish that for the congregation to read. It is brilliant. And actually what I'm preaching on this morning draws very heavily um, from that. So do know that if you do want to read up more and find out more, that will be available soon. And uh, you can look forward to that. Uh, I do want to say my style of preaching this morning, if you've heard me preach before, will be a little bit different to what I normally do. So just a little disclaimer as I start up front, and hopefully it'll still be useful and helpful. And I've got to have humor, so I just decided to bring up this photo for you all to laugh at today, if you can see it. There's one dude at the back there with a bush of hair. That is me, um, believe it or not, in 2008. And that's in Liberia. So um, 2008 was my gap year, and I went off to Liberia to join Mercy Ships. I don't know if anyone knows what the Mercy Ships are, but basically it's a floating hospital that goes and docks in underserved nations and provides free medical care to that nation. 
So I was on that ship for seven months in my gap year, and this is one of the kind of outreaches we did to one of the orphanages. We'd go there weekly and just serve however we could. That's just proof that I was there. Although, to be fair, it could be anywhere, but that is in Liberia, so just believe me. (laughs) Um, And why do I share that? Because God did something significant in me in 2008 when I was on um, the African Mercy, African Mercy ship. So I came from a very privileged, cushy um, upbringing um, in the southern suburbs, went to a very privileged school, lived in a bubble, and my life was about this big. Just a few people and very privileged. And went to Liberia and got exposed to the real rawness of broken reality um, of people's lives. And God just shattered my heart for the reality of what most people in our world actually live in, what they actually go through, what reality looks like in most people's lives. And it was a really significant change moment for me uh, in my life. What had happened at Liberia at the time is they'd just come out of an intense civil war. So the year before, when Mercy ships had gone there, guys were still shooting bullets on the dock outside. They had to come into the ship just to be safe. And then they could go out and serve once the civil war quietened down. So this year when I came was the year after the civil war had officially ended. It was destroyed, that country. Destroyed. And as much as the physical buildings were destroyed, the people's lives were just in tatters um, and in absolute terrible suffering. And that exposure to the realness of what injustice looks like and what pain and brokenness looks like and, and sickness. Guys walking around with these like massive goiters. I don't, you probably don't even know what a goiter is in South Africa, but it's just like a massive growth on their necks and on their heads. And, like, and that's just normal. People have these like physical ailments. You're like, Where, how does, how's this okay? And so Mercy Ships was part of serving to help Sort out the, the specifically the medical issues. Long story to say that 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 whole experience of seven months did something significant in my heart. God broke my heart for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the marginalized. He made me aware of how broken our world is and how it affects individual lives in a deep and profound way. And um, yeah, I came back to South Africa never being able to <laughs> think or see our country in the same way as I did. And I'm grateful for it. Just so aware, and even in our town, just so aware of the great divides, the great injustices that exist, and the great brokenness that exists. And actually, as a Christ follower, it's actually not okay. And we need to be part of seeing God do something to bring life and healing and hope where there is a lot of hopelessness. So um, I was privileged also to be on One Hope staff for five years, and in 2018 I had the privilege of helping launch, establish and launch our biblical justice ministry, which is called Serve Stellenbosch, and Rob's will unpack that a bit more later. And I still have the privilege of, um, as an elder, overseeing that ministry. So um, yeah, just wanted to share some of that context this morning before we start unpacking some of the scripture related to biblical justice. Okay, while we're all sharp and our minds are fresh, I first want us to define our terms. What do we mean by doing justice? What do we mean by living justly? In our world, there's so much like social justice movements and all these things. And I think it warps a lot of our perspective of what does it mean to truly live justly? Does it just mean shouting louder than the other person about what you think is right? Uh, no, that's actually often not terribly helpful. Does it mean that we... Um, we just follow what the next person says, and we say, oh, we follow their political ideology. We just do that or that. No, there's actually a wonderful biblical definition of what it means to live justly and to do justice. You'll see on your seats, you would have got these little guys as you came in. It's a little magnet on the back. It's got a fridge magnet. 
can pop it on your fridge, and it's the famous Micah 6 verse 8. You've been around church a little while, you would have heard this quoted many times. And I want to read it for us as we define our terms. What do we mean by doing justice? It says this, um, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Okay, so we're going to get a little bit technical up front here, but what does it mean to do justice? Basically, in the Bible, justice is broken down into two kind of major concepts. First one is rectifying justice. I'll explain that in a minute, and I think that's the one we're familiar with. We know the legal system. We know you do something wrong, you get punished. That's justice, right? Someone commits a crime, they get punished. We understand rectifying justice quite well. And then there's one which is really important called primary justice. And these are two concepts described in the Bible over and over again. Rectifying justice really has to do with punishing wrongdoers and then also for caring for the victims of injustice. So rectifying wrongs is basically what rectifying justice is all about. And then primary justice, I want to quote uh, author Tim Keller. He's already been pro- quoted this morning by Nate, well-known uh, author and preacher, uh, lives in the U.S. and writes just incredible um, books. Wow. I would recommend any single one of these books he writes. But he says this, primary justice can be described like this. It's the day-to-day living in which a a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. If we, in all our relationships, conducted them with fairness, generosity, and equity, imagine everyone did that. There would be no need for rectifying justice. Stuff, people wouldn't be doing stuff that requires perpetration, um, um, <laughs> rectifying. There we go. We wouldn't have injustices that, that exist and then needing to reach out and help these people. So primary justice is the one we sometimes miss when it comes to the world and kind of the, the atmosphere we live in. Um, when we hear this word justice and social justice or what we refer to as biblical justice. Okay. So justice essentially then means that people get what they deserve as image bearers of God. Justice is this, that people get what they deserve as image bearers of God. And so if we're living more justly, it includes taking a really proactive role as those who follow Jesus in righting wrongs and living generously and equitably to those around us. And really with an attitude of honoring one another, considering the other more and better even than ourselves. And so that's kind of a little, very brief caveat. Again, you can unpack this more in our uh, biblical justice theology paper of what it, what we mean by living or doing justice. I don't want to say up front, as I double-clicked on, this area of our vision is really a double-down on a discipleship area. And so I do want to say, as with all areas of discipleship, it's a growing process. We grow in all the different areas and elements of our lives. And grow, we grow in living more justly. And so it's a journey. And we're all at different parts or at different spaces in our uh, maturity as Christ followers who live justly. And so no condemnation this morning. I just want to release you and free you all. We're all at different spaces in our journey. But I do want to encourage us to take the next step in living more justly. As God leads, as he guides as you maybe feel prompted this morning, to take a next step in living more justly. Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's repentance, that God would soften your heart 
and that you would love those around you. That the biases and prejudices that you've built up in your heart over time, as we all have, living in the country we live in, would break down and melt and be able to see others differently. That's a little caveat to start this morning, that there will be growth in each of us over time as we pursue God in the area of justice. Okay, so this morning I want to build a mountain for you, Um, and it's a mountain of biblical evidence that's hopefully going to inspire us and motivate us to actually be intentional about living more justly. Now, often when uh, someone says, I'm going to give seven points about this thing, honestly, I struggle. I'm like, yours is going to be a lot. Uh, So I just want you all, I'm going to give you seven points, but they're going to be quick. And I'm really hoping they're going to build a mountain of evidence that doesn't feel like a mountain that falls on your head and crashes you under condemnation, but it feels more like Stellenbosch Mountain, where you can hike up it step by step and then turn around and just marvel at the glory of God's creation. I'm hoping it's that kind of mountain in our hearts, where it's like this evidence that just builds up. We're like, yo, God, you're incredible. I really want to do this thing. I want to honor you and reflect your character more in the society and with the people you've put me with. Okay, so let's line them up right up front. I want to just um, unpack seven motivations for living more justly. The first one is that we seek to live more justly because it reflects the character of God. The next one is that it's a natural expression of the deepening of the gospel in a Christian's life. Thirdly, it's a biblical command to love your neighbor. Fourthly, every person bears the image of God. Fifthly, we seek to live more justly because... We are to seek the shalom, of, the shalom of the city. Sixthly, because Christ followers are the salt and light of the, of the earth. And seventhly, we are stewards of our time, talents, and treasure. Okay, I can probably just put those up there, and that's enough evidence. You're already thinking, okay, I know where he's going with this. But I quickly just want to double-click on each of those. Um, and then Paul's going to share for a few minutes, and then we're going to hand over to Rob's. Okay, so we seek to live more justly. Here's the biblical motivation why we do this. Not just because we want to be nice people and because we want to follow what everyone else is doing. We do it because God directs us in, us, in it. Because it reflects the character of God. We live justly because it reflects the character of God. He is a just God. Psalm 146, it was read this morning. It's kind of like God's business card. If he had his business card on there, you know, and he was maybe like a doctor or whatever, they've got all their qualifications or whatever. On God's business card, one of the qualifiers there, one of the descriptors would be a just God or justice. He truly is a God of justice. And that brings tension because we're like, hold on, he's a God of justice, but how can he be a God of justice and a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of all these things? Well, he can. He's God. And he holds them perfectly and beautifully in tension. And when we understand them, they actually complement one another beautifully. His love and his kindness and his justice and his wrath and his anger and his, and these things. So. It reflects the character of God. And so as God's uh, image bearers, as his church, those who are becoming more and more like him as we grow in discipleship, we should be reflecting his character more and more, which is one of justice. So over time, our lives should look more and more just as we live. Okay, point two, I told you I was going to be quick. We seek to live more justly because it's the natural expression of the deepening of the gospel in a Christian's life. Uh, Tim Keller, again, he says this, A true experience of the grace of Jesus inevitably motivates a man or woman to seek justice in the world. As the gospel goes deeper into our lives, it inevitably changes us. 
And it's actually a great thermometer or measure of whether we've really got, like, have we got the grace of God, the goodness of God? Like, do we get it? Because if we get it, it starts to go into us and it starts to come out of us. And we start to live in a different way. And one of those ways is living more justly in the world God's put us in. Okay, point three. We seek to live more justly because it's a biblical command to love your neighbor. And for me, this is one of the strongest, one of the strongest points. I'm just like, even if you just had to sum it up, if someone said, why should I live more justly? I'm just like, because Jesus told us, commanded us to love our neighbor. And love looks like giving equity, um, living equitably, being generous, being kind, looking after the vulnerable. That's what love looks like. So this is one of the strongest motivators. But the question is sometimes, well, who is my neighbor? In Matthew 22, Jesus says, love your neighbor as we love ourselves. So, so then who is our neighbor? And uh, beautifully in the parable of the Samaritan, Jesus describes that for us um, in kind of picture language. And it's not actually just limited to those maybe in this church, maybe who live like next door to us. It actually extends to everybody, and that's everybody that God brings across our path at any time. So that could be someone we're on our way traveling to Joburg for some reason, someone who's sitting next to in the airplane, someone we meet as we inter- interact at the counter. It's the person we get a lift with in the Uber car. It's, it's, you hear what I'm saying? It's everybody that the Lord brings us into contact with for whatever reason. That's our neighbor. And how do we love them? Leviticus 19 gives some beautiful illustrations. We love them with our possessions. We love them with our words. We love them with our attitudes. We love them with our judgments. That's how we can very practically love our neighbor. Okay, here comes one that really struck me to the heart. Point four. We seek to live more justly because every person bears the image of God. And that's every person. I don't know about you, but with my upbringing and with this country we live in, very easy to look down upon others. Very, very easy, based on ethnicity, based on sociological uh, position, based on income, based on various things. Very easy to feel a little bit superior in our hearts, right? But when we get the thing, the idea, the truth, that everybody stands at level feet, level ground at the foot of the cross, God sees everyone the same, not like us. Then the conviction comes, and that came for me. I was like, your Lord, I am so judgmental. I think I am the bee's knees. Now, I don't know if it's been as explicit for that in your heart, but I'm sure each of us, in some way, we feel the sense of we want to try and be superior. And unfortunately, our, um, our social media world only promotes that pedestal-type thinking. I want to like promote this part of me and promote that part of me and build my personal brand and all this stuff. And it kind of makes us feel quite haughty and like special, you know. But actually the Lord sees us all the same. He's made us all the same and we bear his image. And so when our view um, of humanity changes and we understand it in line with God's view of humanity, clearly articulated for us in Philippians chapter 2, then we realize that we don't serve people. We don't go and live justly because we want to like... I don't know, pull out the potential in people, although that's not a bad thing. But we do it because everyone is an image bearer of God. He has made them and created them. 
And that's a core and primary motivator for living more justly. And so that one has over and over hit me to the core of my being, and I've really had to repent and just say, God, please, please help me to just humble myself before you and have your eyes and see people the way that you see them. Okay. Fifthly, we seek to live more justly because we seek the shalom of our city. And so if you know your Old Testament relatively well, you'll know that the prophet Jeremiah, he was a prophet to the people of Israel, um, he encouraged the Jewish people who had been in exile. So Bab- the Babylonians had come and broken down Jerusalem and like, yeah, um, let me just say they'd broken down Jerusalem where the Jews lived, picked them up and carried them off to their land in Babylon and said, like, basically be our slaves and do what we do and become our people. And so this was like, terrible for the Jews because they're all about their land, right? Land is super important to the Jews. And then Jeremiah, the prophet, comes and he says, guys, you actually need to seek the peace and prosperity of this nation that you hate. We live in this nation and I think many of us actually love being South Africans. Maybe some of us don't, or if you're not a South African, whatever nation you come from, you actually quite love that as your kind of national identity. These guys hated Babylon. And... Um, Jeremiah said to them, hey, seek the shalom, the peace, the prosperity of the city. And God actually says the same to us. He says, hey, I've put you in Stellenbosch. Seek the peace of this place, the prosperity of this place. And the wonderful thing is when we do that, it actually benefits everyone, including ourselves. So God was actually uh, quite smart here (laughs) when he instructed the Jews. He's like, it's actually going to be better for you if you do this. But the wonderful thing is it's actually going to be better for all also. So God's put us here and he says, seek the shalom, the peace and prosperity of our town that is so in need of it. And then sixthly, we seek to live more justly because Christ followers are salt and light. And so our lives, actually, I just want to share a quick story. I remember um, uh, Jen and I and my wife were studying uh, a few years ago uh, at Stelly's and um, every Tuesday night we would go and pray at the hospital. Um, there on Merriman, the um, government hospital. Sorry, I'm struggling with words today. Anyway, we'll get there. We go and pray at the government hospital. And I remember it was just such special times and really, really beautiful moments. And um, it was so cool because we would come back and kind of share stories of maybe some stuff God had done as we've been praying. And um, the interest suddenly peaked of some of Jane's friends and some of my friends who were not interested in Christianity at all. They would never come into a church if you paid the millions. Yet, they were interested. They were like, wow, that's interesting. Can I come along? Believe it or not. So I remember the one time my, one of my friends came along. This is a bit of a dramatic story, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, came along, and he was actually one of my roommates, and we walked into the one room to pray. And obviously, I know this guy is not that interested in Christianity or whatever, so I'm trying to be as sensitive as I can and just make it a, you know, a pleasant experience. And, we walked in, and the one guy's just died in the hospital bed, and they've just covered him over with a blanket. <laughs> and we're like, wow, that's a bit hectic. Um, and um, as you walk in, I've got a real sense that we need to pray for this guy to be resurrected. Now, everyone inside of you, Christ follower, you're probably giggling along because now you've got your friend who's like not interested at all. Now you're praying for resurrection. I was like, okay, hasn't it ever happened before or since then? But anyway, so we prayed for this guy and um, nothing happened in the moment. Um, 
But when we left, I remember about a week later, that friend came to me and we had a long conversation of how this had deeply and profoundly impacted him and how he actually started following Jesus soon after that. And not only because of that experience. but And I'm sharing all of this because when we live justly, when we do things um, that are outside of our comfort zone, when we go and be a blessing, it is attractive to an onlooking world. It's light in a dark place. And it says a lot. And so I really just want to encourage us as well, as we seek to live justly, it's also part of God's call on us to come and be salt, which is kind of preserving society, bringing uh, the goodness of God, the ways of God into our world, which are preserving. And then also it's a light in a dark place. In a world that's just greedy and seeking their own, and it's so clear in our political landscape, when there's, other, when there's those who are being generous and reaching out and helping and serving and being sacrificial in their giving and these sorts of things, it, it says a lot, and it's a bright, shining light. So just an encouragement there to each of us. Um, God's called us to be a light in a dark town. Okay, then lastly, point seven is that we're motivated to do justice. We desire, we're inspired, we seek to do justice because we are stewards of our time, talents, and treasure. Now, this might feel like a heavy one, and please don't take it that way. But the truth is that everything we have comes from God's hand. He has been generous to give us everything, our time, our talents, our treasures, that's our possession, our money, and these things. And at the end of the day, we will give an account for how we use those in obedience to him or not in obedience to him. And so God's put stuff in our hands, and he'll prompt us and lead us and guide us to give away and to share and to serve and all these things. And uh, as we act in obedience, we will give an account for that at the end of the day. Uh, So I don't want to put a guilt motivation on you, but the truth is this is how it is. And the wonderful thing is when we do steward what God's put in our hands. In other words, when you manage it well, we just managers of God's stuff, right? We don't get it forever. It's his forever. We just manage his stuff. When we do steward it well, it is beautiful. It is rewarding. And we'll actually be rewarded eternally, which is incredible. It's like God's like, not just like, do it because I told you to and it's my stuff. He's like, actually, then I'll give you a reward that'll last forever if you just obey me in this small little temporary momentary thing that'll last maybe five minutes. It's like crazy maths, but God does that for us. Uh, and so I want to encourage us because um, we are going to stand before God and we can do it with a beautiful and delightful heart as we just grow in obedience. Not being perfect. Guys, we are going to get it wrong. We've all got it wrong already many times. So let's, <laughs> let's not feel like we're actually starting um, at a point where we can just lay it all down and say, Lord, you know me. You know what I've done, but I, I desire to grow in living more justly. Before I hand over to Paul, I just want to uh, share one thing, and this really stood out to me when I was preparing. So you can say a lot of these things, and doing justice is very much an action thing, and it can feel like, oh, but you're putting a heavy on us, now we have to do 500 things and whatever. But the truth is that this needs to be rooted in a revelation of what has been done for us in Jesus. He faced the ultimate injustice. The only one who did not deserve to die got murdered for us. And so he knows what it is to experience and live in injustice. He lived in poverty, material poverty himself. All his days, God himself in the flesh was a poor man. He knows what it is like to experience injustice and to do that for us. And so if you're a Christ follower here this morning, we have the resources in Jesus by the power of his spirit in us to live this way and for it to be so joyful, so life-giving, so light-shedding in our town that it's just a, oh man, it's a joy, and it just builds momentum upon momentum, and then we become 
a church in this town that is like, I just thought of this picture this morning, but it's almost like a, a huge puzzle, a puzzle piece in the puzzle of this whole town. And so when it's removed, it's like, wait, something is missing in our town. And I really believe as we grow in this, God's going to really grow us into that puzzle piece size, like that we're really going to fill all that he has for us in this town, more and more and more. And one of those things is as we live more justly in our town. Okay. Um, Paulo, do you want to share? And then Rob's over to you. Yeah. So Paul's just going to give a bit of context. So you might, might be thinking now, hey, these are really cool motivations, but isn't that for every Christian? Like, shouldn't every church be focusing and emphasizing living more justly? And, and not every church would have an emphasis on it. Everyone should be doing it in some way. So Paulo's just going to unpack a little bit of why, specifically for One Hope, this is an emphasis area for us. Hello, guys. Good to see you. So, like Basie said, I want to just tell you some of the journey of how we got here, because it's been quite a, quite a journey to get to where we are today. Um, so, we took over 2014, and about 2015, we began to see within the congregation, it's not, a, it's not actually a strong suit for myself. I don't feel particularly um, exercised around this by nature, and God's had to grow that in my heart. But within the congregation, there was a real stirring around biblical justice around our town. And so at that point in 2015, the place that we started was actually to commission a study of Stellenbosch NGOs. So we just felt as in prayer that the place to start was to figure out what's already happening, what's already being done. And quite quickly in that process in 2015, we realized a few things, which I'll get to in a moment. The other significant thing that happened in 2015 is that as an eldership, we began to feel a call to put aside finances towards those in less good situations as us. And so we began to put away 75 to 10% of our total income every year. And we've been doing that by God's grace every single year since then, which really excites me. When you start to think if you're doing 7.5% in 10 years, you've given away 75% of the total of a church's budget for a year. It's really awesome. So that happened then. Um, and then we realized from that NGO study two significant things. The first was that the primary place that we wanted to focus, where we were seeing the biggest gaps in the NGOs, and there's lots, guys, and Stellies, there are so many. What we realized is that we want to work in the area of youth, in education, and in vulnerable children's spaces, and that would be our focus. So that was one of the major decisions we took in the early times, that we wanted to have not kind of like a shotgun approach where this person is interested in kids, this person is interested in pregnant moms, this person is interested in addiction. All of those things are, are valuable and powerful, but we felt we needed to focus, especially for our beginning season. So the last seven years, that's been our primary focus. If you look at our partners, all of them are at the moment in this space, education, youth, etc. The other thing that we realized was that there was a massive silo mentality within the NGO space. NGOs are competing for funding. They're also competing for space within the landscape. And so increasingly, when you start looking at them, you realize that they're very isolated. And many of them are doing similar things, but not together with one another. And we feel that God's given us a grace. We're going to see it unrolling in the years to come much more of actually figuring out how we can work well together. And so with that in mind, we made a conscious decision at that point not to start anything new. So we have not started anything. We haven't started a, a one-hope anything. We are just coming alongside existing organizations that we love and saying, how can we breathe wind 
into your sales. So that's kind of some of the routes that we've taken. Um, very quickly, in 2015, we realized it was an incredibly difficult job. It's easy to put away money. It's very difficult to spend it in a way that is God-honoring, that you know that the people that are using it well, etc. It was a lot more difficult. We read some books like When Helping Hurts. If any of you have read that, it's a profound book about how even with our best intentions, we can end up doing significant damage in areas where we try and go in as the Savior, trying to help people but actually don't understand what the needs really are. So those kind of books have been quite... Um, catalytic for us. And so we set up a team in 2016 of five people within One Hope. At that stage, it was New Gen, who began to look at guiding principles for us of how we should approach partners, how we should partner with them, etc. And here's just the four. I'll finish with these. Here's the four that we felt um, very passionately about. The first is that any organization that we partner with must give us genuine opportunities to share the gospel. Clarity. That does not mean they have to be a Christian organization. It just means that if we are going into that organization, we want to know that we have genuine opportunities to share the gospel. Why is this so important for us? Because we believe that you can change a man's financial circumstances, you can give him food, you can educate him, and yet he can still not know Jesus, which is the greatest gift of all. So that's number one parameter for us. The second one, and this is one we don't hold as tightly, but we want to see it happening in Stelis. We believe that's where our faith is for our town, the shalom of our city. So that, that there's two kind of parts to this. One is that it's local or close to local. The other one is we actually started by looking internally. We said, what is God already doing with One Hopers or New Geners at that stage? I'm just not going to say that on and on. One Hopers, you One Hopers now. What is God doing in our midst already that we can come alongside and support? So that's the, the second guiding principle. The third one is that we wanted there to be genuine volunteer opportunities. Our hearts is to create spaces that each of us can be stretched. And that means we need to volunteer. We need to get into those spaces to figure out, God, what am I, what is going on in my heart? Why is there racism in my heart? And that happens when we get into those spaces. So that was the, third one and the fourth one was that the partners that we partner with would be the loudest voices in telling us what they need and this has been such a helpful guiding principle for us that we go to them and say what is it you need what is it you need how can we help and they the ones who are saying hey can you come and do this for us on a saturday or this hello my boy who are you looking for moms over here um, and that's been a really helpful guiding principle for us. And so that's just a tiny bit of the journey where God's taken us in the last seven years. And over to you, or Robs. Robsy. Thank you. Hello, guys. So my name is Robin, and I have the privilege of working for Serve Stellenbosch, which is a ministry that exists to inspire, equip, and mobilize Christ followers to think, believe, and live more justly. So just in terms of like, how do we actually do this, right? Um, if we just look at the inspire and equip arm of Serve Stellenbosch, that is more aimed at focusing in, in growing and equipping people in the why question of justice, God's heart for justice. And we do this in two streams, either by creating our own things or by linking it to other initiatives that are already on the go. So like Paula mentioned, the When Helping Hurts book, 
we're going to do a book club for that coming up in April. So that's a really cool one to look out for. Um, and another example is something like creating and developing uh, life group content that we put in uh, through our life groups. Um, so really looking forward to doing that. And then something, an exposure to an uh, initiative that's already on the go is something like the Justice Journey that's run by Common Good. In 2019, if we can even remember what life was like back then, we did one course. Um, so really looking forward to doing another course in the second half of this year again. Another really cool opportunity that we lean into is East Pambano, and they are a center for biblical justice. Lots of options to lean into there, and one that we've done quite frequently is the story of the church, where we go walk around Cape Town to quite significant um, landmarks of the church and justice in our country, and how, what does that mean for us? So it's just really um, helpful experiences to just help challenge and grow our understanding and our hearts of justice. And then we, if we look into the mobilizing arm, of uh, um, as Paulo mentioned our, we've got a big heart for partnering and it's very much the mentality of how we're doing it and our three partners currently are Calling Education Cooler Development Group and Kin Culture so um, Calling Academy is a not-for-profit organization that is awesome so I'm going to try and not pull a Batesy here and get emotional <laughs> Um, but they are a non-profit that provide outstanding high school education with a Christian ethos um, to at a, at a low fee. Sorry, so it's it's accessible for low-income households, which is just such a sweet spot and I think a real hope for what our country needs more of. So, and they're just incredible, and it's been so cool to be part of their journey since 2018. So it's just been beautiful, brick by brick. They're just growing and growing, and we get to see that's amazing. So some of the ways that we can be involved is by prayer. Um, they've got their staff prayers at 6 o'clock in the morning for anyone who's an early riser on a Thursday. Um, alternatively, we have a Serve Stellenbosch prayer meeting every Thursday, lunchtime, 1 to 1.30, via Zoom. So bring your lunch, even if you're at work. It's very cool, and we get to pray for all of our partners. And just something that's really encouraging, I had someone who joined this past week who was at the office um, but couldn't actually, like, like speak out loud, but we're still a part of it. Um, so just really cool how you can just kind of plug in and be encouraged by praise, and as well as keep up to date with all the prayer requests, because I really think that that's something that God, in my own life, I've seen how he uses that to stir for needs that we actually have no idea of what's going out there. So I really want to encourage prayer. Um, sorry, another thing with Calling Academy that we can get involved in, which um, we have been doing as Sir Stellenbosch from the beginning, is something called Learner Partnerships. So because it's a low-fee school, they get maximum subsidy from the um, government, but then a third aspect of their funding model is what they call Learner Partnerships. And as, as one hope, we have been contributing to five um, over the... I think since 2018. And then um, last year, as uh, Nathan and Mandy's life group, they did two, and this year they're doing three. So just really want to encourage you guys as a lump sum to, you can get together and really contribute to literally a kid going to school. And it, again, it's really high quality education. So it is amazing. Our next partner is Cooler Development Group. And they are a nonprofit with a mission to promote a culture that, um, sorry, to promote. A positive culture of learning and strengthening the value of education, especially with kids that are at risk of disengaging. And guys, after COVID, this is such a hectic, hectic need. Um, so they work specifically in Clutusville and Clapmits. And yeah, it's just very, very necessary work. So again, how do we support them? Pray. They've got a prayer meeting Thursday mornings, 8 to 9 every second week. And our Surf Daily's prayer meeting on Thursday is lunchtime. 
They've got in-school support, so that's a weekly session where you work one-on-one with kids um, and just really help promote their emotional well-being and encourage them to actually be at school. So it's a really incredible place to serve. Um, Yes, that's that's them. And then King Culture is also a non-profit whose mission is to build and support a community of families that are generous and loving um, to take care of vulnerable children. And they do this through advocacy, support, and um, recruiting foster families. So um, I think initially when we think of fostering, we're like, mm, what are we going to do there? But I have faith that we're going to see a family one day soon in, in our midst that are opening up their homes to foster care. But they also do it, they do advocacy for foster care. And then um, there's also volunteer opportunities where we can be involved with their Surf Saturdays and their um, family feasts and all of that. And they've got lots of campaigns which we can really um, make use of and our, our social media platforms just really to raise awareness of all things foster care orientated. Again, pray as a staff. They pray on a Tuesday, and then we've got our Thursday um, lunchtime prayer. Alrighty. So those are just some of our partner organisations. How we can get involved? Your lots of talking. So sorry. <laughs> okay. So just a really cool and another way that one uh, can be involved is that there's a, a lot of stuff that goes into the back end of Serve Stellenbosch. So we're in an environment where there are lots of um, creative people. And like Betsy was saying, just to lean into what you have in your hands, your skills, your equipment, all of those things. So anyone who has time and capacity in terms of design and who's just creative, newsletters, all of that stuff, it's very valuable. So if that's something that you'd like to contribute to Serve Stellenbosch, we could definitely make use of you. And then I just want to point also to the upcoming local mission. So Clutersville is something that we also only did once in 2019, back in the day, um, but really looking forward to doing it again this upcoming June-July holidays, and it's in partnership with our partners, so it's really um, growing and serving our partners in, in a very necessary time where people need rest and kids need entertainment. <laughs> Alrighty, guys, so I know that this is lots of information, and believe it or not, there is so much more than I can say, which is hectic. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be over there at the end if you guys have any questions. And when in doubt, please feel free to reach out and ask any questions anyway. Alrighty, so just for the end, I'm just going to ask. So we've got um, Gunther and Karen from Kin Culture. We've got Eviwe from Calling Academy. And we've got Maria from Kinkula. Sorry, we, oh, there we go. So we're just going to ask them to kind of stand at different places and then if we can just rise and move towards the partner that is closest to you and then they're going to give us some prayer points and then we're just going to pray for them thanks guys